Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Shine. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Shine, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence and the host of Chatting Cyber. Today's cyber celebrity is Faye Francie. Faye, thank you for joining today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you, Mark. Thank you. So, so for our listeners, Faye and I have known each other for many years at this point. Um, Faye, you know, growing up in DC, how did you end up where you are today? I mean, what, what were the steps that led you into leading uh, one of the most important ISACs um, um, that we have here in our, our, our country? Well, thank you for that question. That's a great question. It, it's a bit of an eclectic ride, if you will. Never uh, is there a straight line between your career aspirations and where you wind up, I think. Uh, I did start my career actually out as a forensic chemist, believe it or not, at the Maryland State Police. And from there, I, I worked for a while in that industry of very, becoming very, very interested in um, bombs and arsons, believe it or not, and the kind of things that will go boom in an aircraft. And so I wound up specializing in that area and ultimately started helping the aviation industry, which ultimately brought me to the Boeing company where I worked for a couple of decades as an engineer and as a, um, a, a director level working on all sorts of very interesting things at the Boeing company and ultimately with the commercial aircraft division where I helped to stand up the aviation ISAC and it was the last uh, thing I did before I retired in 2016 and when I retired the automotive industry was very interested in what I had done for aviation and asked if I would come on over and do it here in the automotive industry. That's great, Faye. It, it, it reminds me back to the time when we first originally met when you were running the aviation ISAC and, you know, we were asked to go to a, a small gathering of elite individuals in the aviation community at some of the, uh, you know, the OEMs as well as the, uh, the airlines. Uh, in fact, I believe there were f- several congressmen when we were speaking uh, in the state Senate building. And, uh, you know, to have your guidance and to hear what you said, I was really excited when you accepted to be on the podcast show today. So let's get right into it. So I appreciate what you're doing for the aviation ISAC because, you know, I got to see it firsthand. But for our listeners, perhaps you could start off by telling us what is an ISAC? Oh, that's a great question. So first off, the acronym stands for Information Sharing and Analysis Center, ISAC. And it is actually a model that was developed back in 19. 19- Um, 98 through a presidential directive that President Clinton signed. And the reason he signed this this, uh, uh, presidential directive was to establish ISACs. And ISACs were for the industry that really were managing or operating critical infrastructure. And what they determined that probably over 85% of of the private industry actually owned or operated critical infrastructure in the United States, that was a concern for the public sector because they weren't really sure how they could reach out to the belly button, if you will, of that industry or or who they could coordinate with to ensure that they really had the broadest reach into into that industry. And they felt it was really important to come together to create a sector specific organization to share information about physical and cyber threats 
vulnerabilities and incidences. And so today there are over 24 ISACs that serve that role. And there are five cornerstones that really make up an ISAC. The first one is submission anonymity, which you can imagine for highly competitive industries like automotive, that's a real concern. So submission and anonymity is number one. It's followed by authenticated information sharing. So really working that information to get the right information to the right person, hopefully at the right time, right? It's industry driven and operated. Uh, there's a limited use on the information. And we comply with, of course, all US uh, legal requirements as well as antitrust. And we also generally, ISACs will sign a, an agreement with Department of Homeland Security, who is the a federal agency that coordinates in the United States, all critical infrastructure, non-government, non-DOD government. And so we actually have an agreement with DHS that allows us to, to uh, gain information from them and to also share when, when appropriate. And they also manage to bring together the ISACs in a meaningful way um, quite frequently and provide us with some limited liability protections for that information sharing, which really helps a lot. Now, now Faye, what, uh, I'm sure there's uh, a handful. Is that which are the strongest, or which ISACs currently have the mo the largest membership? Rather, well, the gold standard tends to be the financial services ISAC. They've been one of the longest running um, privately held ISACs. Multi-state ISAC is another one that's really um, a very deep and broad. Of course, that helps all the states, but that is funded by DHS. We also have IT ISAC, COM ISAC, and there's, a, there's several others, water ISAC. A lot of those ISACs have been in existence really since about you know, early 2000. Got it. So, so let me ask you, um, I, I, can I, and this may be a difficult question to ask given all the great work that you guys are doing, but you know, how does the auto ISAC impact the industry today and, and, and frankly, the consumers? Well, that's a great question. So, one of the big purposes around an auto ISAC is not just about you know, sharing tactical threat information, but it's really about building resilience across the whole of industry. And it's asking um, everyone to take responsibility in that. And that includes even the consumer. So what do I mean by that? So, so of course the industry is working very diligently to ensure that what they build is cyber secure that there's good cyber hygiene and that that is all being uh, implemented and put forward to the consumer daily. But, you know, the consumer also has some responsibility in this. We all love to bring our iPhone into our, phone, into our car, right? So we can be efficient and play our iTunes or whatever. And we have to remember that we also have some responsibility in how we manage that, particularly like say if we sell our vehicle, that we would clean our vehicle from that information and protect our data and our information. When we rent a car, same issue, right? Making sure that we are taking some responsible steps to ensure the data is protected. So we like to say that cyber is everyone's responsibility, but in particular for the industry, one company's detection is another company's prevention. And while we all wanna be on the prevention side, in order for us to really have the most meaningful um, results is for all of us to work this together, to share when appropriate, to come forward in a timely way, to share and to learn from each other. 
And now, Faye, is that, is that the same approach as it is for the auto ISAC as when the ISACs as a whole look at critical infrastructure? You know, I know you had mentioned critical infrastructure in the very beginning. Absolutely. Uh, I think we are all bought into that concept and, and, you know, working that together, even across sector, right? So, for instance, um, we, we still participate on a monthly basis at the National Council of ISAC level where all the ISACs get together and, and share specific uh, indicators of compromise or, or specific activities that we've seen have been trending. We also literally share on a daily basis whatever um, uh, we're seeing, right? So we share with the other ISACs. So it's really an opportunity to pull our limited resources to better fight that very adaptive adversary. We have to remember that the adversary doesn't have any lawyers. They don't have any policies to worry about or regulation. They share all the time, very rapidly, and that keeps our costs low and it keeps them under the radar. So we as an industry have to come together as the white hats and, and really help to identify those emerging threats and vulnerabilities sooner. And, and by sharing that, even though we're in a highly competitive market and it can be very difficult to do, very, very important to do that. One of the first steps we took in the auto ISAC was to proactively shape industry-wide best practices. By coming together, we started to learn what each other were doing. And so by that, by default, we started to build best practices. We also tapped some other ISACs to see what they were doing, to learn from them as well. And we incorporated that into a working level document that helps everyone across our industry. And ultimately we publish those best practices and they can be found on our website today. And can you give our listeners the website so they know where to find it? Sure, it's www.automotiveisac.com. Excellent. So Faye, let's, let's change gears to something that I was very interested in and I'm sure our listeners are as well is, you know, we were talking about emerging risks and we're talking about autom uh, automotive and we're talking about, you know, your ISAC specifically. So thinking about the idea that we have these cars that are becoming much more connected. It used to be, you know, you could turn your car on uh, with, a, you know, the start of a button. Uh, then we got into, you know, phase two, phase three. And now we're at the point where cars uh, can effectively drive themselves, park themselves, things of that nature. So how will the connected vehicles, you know, in these connected cities of the future impact cybersecurity from the ISAC's perspective? Well, cyber is, anytime you connect two devices, you have the opportunity for um, a cyber attack, right? So that connection piece is what's so relevant. And as we know today in this very exciting industry, we see technology coming into this industry that are making our lives much better and more exciting, as you mentioned, being able to start your car as you're landing at Dulles or wherever, and being able to have all of these uh, sweet opportunities to do more efficient and effective driving, you know, to include lane close, you know, lane departure issues, you know, smart cities with integrating in all of the traffic lights to make for seamless uh, operations. With all of that connectivity, of course, comes cyber risk. And that's the bottom line. So when we start to see how many connections there are, and if you think about it, um, we're seeing a lot, right? We're seeing a lot of integration into the infotainment system. We're seeing a lot of integration from our iPhone, all, all the communications elements, if you will, around that vehicle. 
we're seeing also a lot of services, right? So you take your vehicle to the, to the dealership today, and of course there's a, you know it need, there's a computer that has to even look at to figure out how to uh, to take care of the problem space. So all of these connections and all of this interconnectedness requires us to really be vigilant about those connections and about cyber hygiene and cybersecurity. Sure. So Faye, when we think about the supply chain um, with respect to the OEMs, where do you feel like the biggest challenge with respect to cyber risk is um, um, when we think about supply chain uh, through the, uh, the ISAC? Well, it's a great question. You know, when I was at the Boeing company starting on this journey in 2010, I said the supply chain challenge is a, is a, a decade long challenge. Well, here we are a decade later, and I'd say maybe it's a century-long challenge. Mm -hmm. Why? Because if you look at the automotive industry, we're talking about potentially 30,000 plus suppliers. That's a huge, huge supply chain. And as we know, not everybody has the money or the understanding of how to do cyber, and they're all learning, right? They're all trying to get out ahead of the curve, clearly. However, it, it's a challenge for some companies because it's an expense, it's a cost avoidance expense, and it is one that can challenge some companies. And so a lot of times the threat uh, actors will look for what we term the soft underbellies. So what do I mean by that? So that could be, you know, one of the lower level uh, folks on the supply chain that maybe don't have all of the um, capabilities that say larger, more mature organizations have. And therefore, the threat actor will try to find their way there. And they wait very patiently to get in, to maybe get to the big fish, if you will, which could be like a major OEM. We've seen that in open press. If you've looked at the target attack, that's a great example of the soft underbelly, where the HVAC system uh, was doing B2B, business to business um, uh, with, with target. And, and that is how the um, threat actor was able to get in and steal all the records there, all the financial records. So those soft underbellies are really, really important. And the supply chain is really important, right, to, to build that out and to ensure that all of them have tools, techniques, and understanding of how to address this issue. Sure. Now, Faye, do you feel like COVID-19 has impacted this? And then if so, positively or negatively? Well, I think COVID-19 has affected all of our lives and, and I you know, just uh, hope everyone is okay out there that's listening and that their family members are as well and friends. It's a, it's a difficult time for everyone. And of course it's affected many of our members who have supply chains around the globe, uh, who've had to close because of you know, close contact and in being in a factory. A lot of times you're working very closely with someone else. So many of them have had to you know, shut down operations. Now, luckily it's, been opened back up, but we, we see a surge arising again. So it hasn't affected the overall business, right? It's affected all of our lives in some way. Uh, so far, uh, you know, we seem to be working uh, you know, through this. And, you know, I will like to do a shout out to many of my key members that are on my board that actually pivoted um, to actually start building ventilators, right? And some other uh, equipment to support our nation in, uh, in this crisis. So uh, many of them have done that and now they're pivoting back to starting up their own uh, automotive operations. 
uh, but we do know there will be an impact. I, I don't know that we're able to adequately assess it quite, you know, how much the dramatic effect will be yet. Sure, and it leads me right into my next question, which I think you just touched upon was, you know, is there any additional trends that you're seeing other than the OEMs going back to, you know, making from making the ventilators to now, you know, going back to, you know, their day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, typical day-to-day -day responsibilities or duties rather. Um, any other trends that you're seeing in the marketplace? Well, I mean, the, the, the typical trends have been, you know, uh, obviously to focus on integration of highly automated systems, right? I mean, that's just the trend overall before the COVID happened, right? How do we integrate even more and go electric, right? Electric is another big uh, trend. So as we're, and they're still on that journey, you know, trust me that that's, uh, that has continued, that hasn't been disrupted. Maybe the timing may be, of course, disrupted a bit or, or, or shift a bit. But overall, I think they're, they're certainly on their trajectories and, and they are working very hard on ensuring that they can continue to go forward in this very interesting time. It can challenge us because if we're, for instance, not able to get into a lab, that might, that might impede some of their progress. So again, I can't assess that, but I do know that from a trending perspective and what we've been seeing, uh, that they are really trying to get back on track as quickly as possible. And in fact, what's been so interesting, if you've done any financial reading, a lot of car sales are still way up. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty surprised by that. But if I may, I'll talk a little bit about the, the top threat uh, threats and attack vectors and what we have been seeing and I anticipate we'll continue to see the same even with COVID, um, maybe even more so, I don't know, but um, so, you know, obviously one of the, the top attack threat vectors is with cellular and telematics and we've seen that for some time. If you look back on the GPAC, that was one of the ways they got in. Wi-Fi, mobile devices and apps, all the apps, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to get in that way. Of course, we've talked about OBD2 and the dongle of the maintenance repair that would be happening uh, in aftermarket devices. Keyless entry systems, we've talked a little bit about Bluetooth, global nav systems, and of course, just the physical asset, you know, access to, uh, to get into the vehicle. So a lot of times what the threat actor is really looking to ex exploit is really being able to steal the car. It's still about auto theft, right? You know, when you really break it all down, a lot of it really gets into just simple auto theft. And so we, they are working very diligently to, uh, to address some of those items. But for the most part, that's what we see. And I think that's what we'll continue to see. Excellent. So Faye, you, you shared a tremendous amount of information with us. Before I let you go, is there any question I should have asked that I didn't? Oh, gee. Well, that's a great question. You know, uh, perhaps about the election since that's tomorrow, but um, I do apologize. I um, wouldn't want to talk about that. I have no expertise in that area. <laughs> uh, I think the most important thing to just to take away for our audience is to remember cybersecurity is everyone's responsibility. And so remember that, particularly when you get in the vehicle, when you where you place your keys and, uh, you know, what you do when you, you know, ensuring that you lock your, your Vehicle. It's always about a uh, threat of theft, believe it or not. That's pretty uh, interesting that it still winds up being about auto theft. But at the end of the day, remember to guard your own personal data as well that may be in that vehicle or in that rental car. Take the responsibility seriously and uh, enjoy the vehicles. 
Well, Faye, thank you for your time today. Thank you for coming on the show and chatting cyber with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.